listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And as Doc mentioned earlier, this is Mary's song of praise to God when she found out that she was going to have his son. For those of you who would like to follow along in the Bible, you'll find it on page 835. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his, to his descendants forever. Thanks be to God. First of all, I'd like to start off by saying thank you for allowing me to be with you this morning and sharing God's word. My name is Chris O'Brien, and I'm an ordained pastor in the Methodist tradition. And Dan and I have a long friendship that started way back at Fuller when we were doing our PhD work together. And who would have known that we'd end up living in the same area after we finish? And I just have to say, life is short with a lot of highs and lows. But one of the things that makes life meaningful is having good friendships. And I am so thankful for Dan and his family. Let us begin with prayer. God, you sent your Son into the world that we might live through him. May we abide in his risen life so that we may bear the fruit of love for one another, and know the fullness of joy. Use today's scripture to transform our hearts in the image of your heart. Empower us with your spirit to love who and what you love, and long for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. One man come in the name of love. One man come and go. One man come to justify, one man to overthrow. One man caught on a barbed wire fence, one man he resists. One man washed up on an empty beach, one man betrayed with a kiss. Early morn, early morning, April 4, shot rings out in the Memphis sky. Free at last, they took your life, they could not take your pride. In the name of love, what more? In the name of love. In the name of love, what more? 
in the name of love. The world-renowned rock band U2 wrote these lyrics as a tribute to Martin Luther King Jr. and others, including Christ, who died because of their commitment to living a life of nonviolence, promoting equality, and demonstrating God's love for all of humanity. These people live their life with pride, which is the name of the song. This pride is not to be confused with boasting and thinking higher of oneself than one ought, but rather it is when one lives out the heart of God. For Martin Luther King Jr., the heart of God was most clearly expressed in the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Keen understood that the cross represented the depth of God's love for suffering humanity and an answer to the deadly cycle of violence and hatred. And it is this love, as he often said, that is the most durable power in the world. This is not an abstract version of love, but a concrete, a tangible love that finds its truest and fullest expression when we faithfully follow the footsteps of Christ. But as many of you know, this is not easy to do. It is not easy to be obedient to the life that Christ invites us to live because it means that we will have to make sacrifices that will look foolish to the world around us. And sometimes these decisions may even seem foolish to us. There will be times when we'll be uncomfortable. There will be times when we may actually have to learn to live with and love people we don't understand or prefer to be around. How many of you have some annoying in-laws? Just raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, babe. <laughs> we may actually have to learn how to suffer for the gospel. This is one of the reasons you two wrote the song Pride. The song celebrates how Cain lived out God's love when he and our African-American sisters and brothers were treated less than human. They were shamed, abused, and murdered because of the color of their skin. And one of the sad things is, is that some of the people who claimed to know and love Christ were the ones behind the racism and violence, while others remained silent. But yet in the midst of the hate and fear, in the midst of the violent acts that mutilated the bodies of African Americans, much like the mutilation of Jesus in the Passion Narrative, King trusted and rejoiced in the hope of the gospel that the way things are will not always be because God's heart of mercy will win out and triumph. King trusted in the promises and character of God's heart that all injustices would be made right. So instead of responding out of hate and revenge, King chose the more difficult response to live like Jesus. Although it is true that Keen had his faults, he still understood what the heart of the gospel is about. And as Luke 1, 46 through 55 point out, points out, so does Mary. In fact, Mary models for us how to rejoice in God's heart of mercy for everyone, as well as what that entails as we seek to live like Jesus. Prior to our passage, you can open up your uh, text. Just prior to Luke 1, 46, 
We learn that the angel Gabriel sent by, was sent by God to Nazareth to inform Mary, who, who was a virgin and engaged to a man named Joseph, that she would conceive and give birth to a son, and that his name would be Jesus. I can't even imagine what it must have been like to be Mary. One moment, life is normal. She's in great anticipation over the wedding that will soon take place, and then, bam, an angel appears and says, Rejoice, favored one. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. God is honoring you. What? How so? By having a baby? If this happened to my wife and I, and I were to tell my non-Christian friends about it, they would ask if I was smoking a little something special on the side. (laughs) Maybe my Christian friends, too. (laughs) But the angel goes on to reassure Mary that God is up to something incredible through this child. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, and God will give him the throne of David, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Although this sounds good, Mary rightly questions how this is possible when she has behaved herself and hasn't been out on late date nights with Joseph. Gabriel again reassures her that nothing is impossible for God, and to support his case, he reveals to her that God has blessed her relative, Elizabeth, who is advanced in years with a child. After hearing the news about her relative, Mary hurries and travels over 70 miles to see Elizabeth. And I honestly don't blame her. After what just happened, she probably wanted to see for herself if what the angel said was true. Luke tells us that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and with a loud voice she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. Elizabeth's words function as an affirmation that God is up to something and that they are blessed for their faith and trust in God's promises. And then the progression of Luke's story abruptly stops. Luke doesn't give us any more descriptions of what is happening. As a reader or a listener of Scripture, the change in the speed of the story should cause us to pause, sit up, and pay attention, because there is a point being made. Mary responds to Elizabeth's words with a song of praise that celebrates what God has done for her and for everyone, especially Israel. What is interesting about her praise is that she hasn't given, even given birth to Jesus yet. But she is already rejoicing in God's faithfulness and mercy in light of what God has done in anticipation of what God will accomplish through Jesus' ministry. Mary's song of praise gives us a concrete picture of what Jesus' kingdom without end will look like. But what is more important for us today is the fact that Mary's response models for us how we are to respond to God's heart of mercy based on what God has done in expectation 
in anticipation of what God is going to do through the life of the church, through each of you. We, like Mary, are to rejoice in the depths of who we are, and it is out of the depths of who we are that our trust in and celebration of what God is up to should overflow into how we live. As Mary's praise bears witness to God's faithfulness and mercy, so should it be evident in how we live and engage our community. But what does this praise specifically entail based on Mary's song? What are its tangible elements? Beginning with verses 46 through 50, they highlight the personal blessing of what God has done for her, a lowly servant. She says, with all of my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God, my Savior. He has looked with favor on the lowest status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. From the get-go, Mary's song subverts the potential misinterpretation that God, the Savior and the Mighty One, would use God's power to lift up and support the powerful, the wealthy, and those of good and significant social status. Take note that these are the characteristics that the world values. Mary instead praises God because of her personal experience of God's mercy, which was extended to her even though she was of lower socioeconomic status. It is God's act of mercy that reversed her social status from a lowly servant, an outcast, an outsider, to someone who is honored and blessed and who will be considered highly favored by everyone because of what God has done for her. The original word translated as low status in the Common English Bible is one of a variety of words or terms used throughout Luke to identify the poor and marginalized. So when Mary praises God for what God has done for her, she is celebrating in the reality that she has been included in God's redemptive work. She is celebrating that her worth and value is not something determined by the world, but rather given to her by God's mercy. And nothing can take that away from her. Mary's song of praise, though, doesn't stay focused on what God has done for her alone. Her praise shifts and speaks corporately about humanity as a whole. In verse 50, she says, God shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. For Mary, those who do not honor God receive the judgment side of God's mercy. If God's mercy is to lift up the lowly and fill the hungry with good things, then the powers and the people in the world who hinder God's work will face the power of God's strength. Mary states, God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones, and he has sent the rich away empty-handed. When we read this text closely, one of the interesting aspects about God's acts of judgment and mercy 
is that God equalizes the playing field. God doesn't destroy the powerful, the proud, or the wealthy. Rather, God brings them down and raises the poor and the marginalized up to the same level, the same status. And for Mary, this is why we should rejoice. God's mercy is not one of revenge or malice, but subversive in dismantling the social, political, religious, and economic structures of society that divide us and perpetuate the us versus them, the insiders versus outsiders mentality. Mary's song of praise pushes against our knowing and unknowing acceptance of society's structures as if this is how we as a church should have to live. Although we may look at the world around us and question Mary by pointing out that the powerful still seem to have the powerful, still seem to have the power, the proud are still proud, and the rich are getting richer. I can hear Mary's response. I know. I once thought that too. But God showed up and remembered his lowly servant. God remembered his servant Israel. God remembered his mercy just as he promised our ancestors to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. Rather than complain when I could have, rather than continue to live life as usual when I could have, rather than lose hope when I could have, I chose to rejoice in God, my Savior, because of God's faithfulness and heart of mercy. When I read Luke 1, and Mary's song in particular, I am moved by her willingness to praise and rejoice in what God was up to before she even witnessed the fullness in the fruit of Jesus' ministry. She truly trusted in the work of the Spirit, And for us, as a church, Mary models a faithful response to God's heart of mercy for everyone. We are to rejoice in it and be transformed by it as we live into the reality that God is bringing forth. But one final note before we close. As I reflect on our text for today, I can't help but see the resemblance between Mary's song in the work of Martin Luther King Jr. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, King follows the example of Mary and her song of praise in the way he advocated for God's justice, equality, and love for all people. In his his famous I Have a Dream speech, King, similar to Mary, anticipates and rejoices in the reality that God is transforming society by leveling the gap between those in power and those without. Keene states, I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. 
With this faith, we will be able to transform the jingling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. One of the most powerful aspects of Keen's life is that even when it looked like all progress was lost, when racism and hate still seemed to have the stronghold, he, like Mary, trusted in the faithfulness and mercy of God. And this was clearly evident the night before his assassination. During his last sermon, he preached, I got into Memphis, and some began to say the threats. What would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter to me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind, like anybody, I would like to live a long life, but I am not concerned with that now. I just want to do God's will. And he has allowed me to go to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eye, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The next day, Keen was assassinated about four in the afternoon. So how are we going to respond to God's heart of mercy? Are we willing to take our calling seriously, to trust in God's faithfulness and rejoice in God's mercy for everyone? Are we willing to have God's heart of mercy shape the way we live like Jesus in our daily lives? My suggestion is this. When we are unsure of what this might look like, look to the concrete examples of Mary and the positive work of Cain for how we are to respond faithfully to God. As Mary's praise and Cain's hope bear witness to God's faithfulness and mercy, so should it be evident in how we live and engage our community. Let's take a few moments in prayer to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we reflect on what it means to be a church that rejoices in God's mercy as we wait for its fullness to be realized. Please pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you to continue to transform our hearts in the likeness of the Son, that we may be a means of your grace to the community in which we live. Continue to shape us, guide us as your faithful people, and empower us with the same spirit that you empowered your son, and the same spirit that empowered Mary and Martin Luther King Jr. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, brockportfirstbaptist.org. 
Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.